So we're in James chapter 2. If you have God's word, turn there. Okay, James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Verses 20 to 26. I'm going to do this in 15 minutes. Okay, we've got three points. We're going to do this in 15 minutes because this is basically part two of, of, of last time. Right? So last time we saw the, the big idea that living faith produces faithful living. It's the same big idea today. Okay, so last time we saw the very familiar passage in James chapter 2 where it talks about faith without works is dead. And what we did last week was we talked about how for people who are familiar with Christianity or if you've been in the church, it's so familiar. It's like, no duh, of course. You know, faith without works is dead. And then we talked a little bit about what that looks like. We challenged the notion of what does that really look like and we explained the, what Paul meant versus what James meant. So that's all from last week. You can find that uh, on, online if you, if you want uh, you know, to hear the background of it. But this week, we jump right in where James gives us a couple of examples. He gives us three illustrations to basically back up his argument that living faith must produce faithful living. The faith without works is dead. So as we go through, it will provide some of a review. But here's point number one. Okay. Um, and so since Karina is the application, I'm giving you pure exegesis. Okay. So, so this is pure Bible study. Is Point number one is the first thing we see is the ultimate... OT illustration of faith that works. And when I say OT, I mean Old Testament, right? The Old Testament, the ultimate Old Testament illustration of faith that works. And why is this important? This is important because we've been emphasizing that James is writing to Jewish Christians. And for a Jewish Christian to hear stories or illustrations or examples from the Old Testament, there is authority in, in the example that James is using. There's scriptural authority. Right, so what we see here is James turning back to the ultimate Old Testament illustration of faith that works, and which is Abraham. Okay, so that's the first thing we see. Look at verse 20, uh, and, and I will read that to you. Okay, so James, uh, James chapter 2, starting in verse 20. <clears throat> so James says, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So he, again, he's forming an argument. Right, And then verse 21, he gives the ultimate example, which is Abraham, the father of the Jews. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Stop there for point number one. Okay, so that's that's point number one. The ultimate illustration is Abraham. Now, here's where this is example. This example is important, and I think this is for us to have some insight not only to what God's word says to us, but how this applies. Now, most of you guys are familiar with the story of Abraham. How many of you guys are familiar with the story of Abraham? Yes, familiar. Anybody? Abraham's new to you? Completely new. Okay, anybody? I looked around, and I, if, if there's a guess, I, I probably know you. So I, I didn't see anybody who I would perceive as unchurched. Okay, so I'm just going to speak to believers. Okay, so Abraham is the ultimate example. And if you don't know the story, you know, the quick summary is, is that Abraham's wife, Sarah, was barren. And God made a promise to Abraham saying, saying, through your seed or through your descendants, uh, first, I will make you a great nation. But through your descendants, blessing will come to the nations, right? And that's the Messiah, 
But obviously for any of this to happen, for his for his seed to multiply into many nations, for the Messiah to come from his descendants, Abraham would have, have to have a child. And long story short, Abraham um, has a child from God, a gift that even though his wife is barren, that at a very old age, God gives him a miracle baby. This is a foreshadow, right? And God performs a miracle birth, right? Later, it is Christ coming through a miracle birth. But here already, you see this miracle birth that, that um, apart from any natural means, Abraham has Isaac. And God tested Abraham. And, and God says one day, right? It says, Abe, do you trust my promise? Yes, Lord. I waited so long for this child. I know this child is from you. He truly is a gift and a miracle. Okay, Abe. Well, do you trust me? Yes. Then take, take Isaac, go up to that mountain and sacrifice him. Kill him. And Abraham obeyed to the point where, where he's about to kill Isaac. Okay, and I'm not going to get into all the details of that story tonight because you guys have heard that you know, uh, recently from the English pulpit. Where he's about to go through with it and God says, no, no, stop, stop, stop. I'm just testing you. Right? And so James is drawing on that example. And James is saying, look, Abraham had faith. He had faith in God because he trusted in God's word. But the evidence of his faith, he was saved by his works. And last time we explained how this is not a contradiction to what Paul teaches us, that we are justified by faith alone. Okay, and so there are two senses of justification that you have to understand that the word justified in the Greek is used in two ways in the New Testament. The first way is justification in the sense of a legal declaration that you are righteous. And so when Paul argues and says that you are justified and you are declared righteous by faith in Christ alone and on the merits of Christ alone, he's talking about your initial trust in Christ for salvation where apart from any good thing or bad thing that you can do, God declares you righteous. That's like putting you in a courtroom and God is the judge and he looks at you and he says, why should I save you? And you say, I got nothing about me that's good. I, I, I have no merit, but I trust in Christ. And so God looks at you and says, okay, then I'm going to take 100% of Jesus' righteousness and put it on you and your sin will be declared onto Christ. And we call that the great exchange, right? And so that's the first sense of being justified. But there's a second, there's a second sense of justification, which is vindication. Which is people accuse you of a crime and you say, no, I'm innocent. And later on, evidence comes out to prove that you are indeed innocent. That is a justification and you feel justified. Another word for that is proof. So prove it that you are saved. Well, when you examine a believer's life and you see the fruit of their life over time, then it justifies their claim that they are indeed a child of God. And that's the use that James is using here in the Greek, right? It's the same Greek word, but the context, the context shows what he's talking about. And he's using, James is using the justification that says a proof of salvation. And verse 25, verse 22 is, is just a powerful clarifier. So uh, again, here at In Transit, you know, we really want you to understand how to, you know, study God's word. And, and Karina talked about sharing the gospel and the gospel is simple. And, and, and really, you know, for, for, for many of us, and even Calvin was talking about Bible reading plans and, and things like that. But we really want to get you in to, you know, you're going to share the faith and you're going to share truth. 
but first you got to engage truth. And you look at verse 22, you read it very carefully. Verse 22 is a key verse in understanding not only James, but understanding how your faith works, right? And what it means to be a Christian. James is not teaching salvation by works. He says, look at verse 22. It says, faith was active along with Abraham's works. And faith was completed by his works. The Greek word used for active along with, that phrase, active along with, so the ESV, which I'm using, and that's a good translation, or some of you guys have the New American Standard. Those are good translations. So active along with, the Greek word is actually synergy, which sounds like synergy, because that's the idea. And synergy is two things working together. It's like an intimate relationship between faith and works, where you cannot have true good works without faith, and you will not have true faith apart from works to prove it. And so these are not two separate enterprises, but faith and works are interwoven. And and that's kind of what you see. John Calvin put it this way. He said, faith alone justifies, but the faith that justifies is never alone. And, and I loved it. Right? I love that the Karina was available to share today and, and it just fit the schedule. Because what what you know when I first um, began to I think I did Karina's interview, I think I did your membership interview. Um, you know, we were talking and, and she already had a heart for missions. You know, and she was working at, at Life Ray, uh, an organization that loves missions, even though it's a secular company per se, you know, in terms of in the market, but but the but their founder is really big on missions. And she already had a heart for Japan. And and I don't know if you guys were here. Some of you guys are new. But she shared that before we sent her out to IT and to the church. Um, and then, but that that belief, that faith, that that belief in something that God was calling her to do, um, she said, I'm going to take action. Uh, and, and she's in the perfect spot to do this, right? And I, I shared about this last time where, you know, she understands that at this stage in her life, uh, Karina doesn't have a, a family that she has to take care of. She, she's, she's free to go. She doesn't have that responsibility at this stage. Um, she's also in a career where she can be mobile and she can use, uh, she didn't have to go to seminary. She's not there to, you know, plan a church traditionally or anything like that. She supports a church, but she's, she told you, she told us she's basically using her skills, the same stuff she did at Life Ray, but she's doing it for Nozomi and she's able to come along woman and share the gospel and you know what she does there she she challenges us and said we could do it here right something that she believes in how do you know that Karina really loves Japan or believes in it you know it's more than just a donation it's more than just going on short term but she says I'm going to nail down you know and, and commit like two years of my life I'm going to raise funds I'm going to go I'm going to go in faith to a new uh, learn a new language love on a new people you know, um, and, and, and we're glad that she's back, but she really believes in this, right? And, and so I, I think you could say the same thing. You don't have to be named Karina, um, and you don't have to go to Japan, uh, but you look at where God has called you to in your workplace or your neighborhood or your community or your campus and, and see how has God engaged you. And if you really have faith and if you really believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, if he's really our Lord, then what are we doing to the best of our ability to show that proof and not just for self. I mean, this showing that you're saved is not to get you into heaven. It's not to get more points with Jesus, right? It's not for a show, but it's really because, because what we believe is, is center. You know, there's a synergy happening. It's active along our faith. There's works and there's a demonstration of works happening, right? And this Greek word used for completed, 
Right? And verse 22, is, it, it's an awesome verse. His faith was active. So his faith was active. He was exercising faith the entire time. He was trusting in God as he was willing to sacrifice his own, uh, his, this promised son. And at the same time, it says his faith was completed by his works. And that Greek word, it means to bring something to maturity. And that's something you can connect with. That when you first become a Christian, it's like, yeah, I trust in Jesus. And I'm learning some things. I'm trying to live this Christian life. And as you follow Christ and as you struggle, as you grow more, you mature. And that's what happened. You have to understand that Abraham made a lot of mistakes. He even committed adultery, um, which Sarah told him to, his wife told him to at first. And, and uh, he, he took his, his, his slave gal, uh, Hagar, and, and bore a child, right? And, and that led to the, the birth of a nation of people that in history would become Israel's enemies. But, but we know that some of, some of them, and they would become the Arab people. Uh, but there are many Arabs that, are, that have come to Christ, right, over the centuries. So at the end of the day, God is sovereign over all things. And, but Abraham's actions had consequences. You know, his illegitimate child would produce a nation and nations that would hate Israel and want to always war against uh, the people of God and Israel. So Abraham made a lot of mistakes. He, uh, you read his history, but you have to understand that by the time God asked him, hey, kill, I want you to take your son and kill him, basically, sacrifice him, Abraham had been following God for a very, very long time. Imagine following God for 100 years. I mean, your faith is going to be different. We're not talking about a new believer here. We're not talking about a baby Christian. So sometimes people look at Abraham, they're like, oh yeah, that's Abe. There's no way I could be like Abraham. And, and you can't get discouraged in that way, right? You, you have to understand that Abraham did not always have this type of faith. But over testing, over failure, over sanctification, by the end of his life, God tests him and he passed the test. His faith was completed. It was brought to maturity. And it goes down in history that that was a, a pinnacle moment in Abraham's life, right? So that's point, that's, that's point number one, okay? Um, now, I'm going to jump to verse 25. Point number two is the unexpected Old Testament illustration of faith that works. So point number one, you know, James is writing Jewish Christians. He gives them the ultimate example, which is look at your forefather. Look at the person that if, if Abraham, if it wasn't for God's promise to Abraham, if God didn't choose Abraham, you know, you guys, Jewish Christians or Jews wouldn't exist, right? Going from that to the unexpected Old Testament illustration, and that's Rahab. And verse 25, it says, In the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. So the second example is an unexpected hero and by this time that James wrote obviously all of Israel knew about Rahab but the reason why I say unexpected was because she was a Gentile meaning she's non-Jewish and she was a prostitute whereas you would expect this faithful living from Abraham you wouldn't expect uh, you wouldn't expect the same from a Gentile prostitute she has no basis no background for her faith, yet when Israel sent spies to scout out the promised land, to scout out Jericho, she willingly betrayed her own people. She hid the Israelite spies. Why? It's because she exercised trust in Yahweh. You gotta kind of consider this. This is crazy. Okay, you are you, you're not an Israelite. You just hear the word of God 
somehow you hear maybe the word is spreading through the land that there is a people called Israel and that they claim that their God, Yahweh, is the living God. But you got these mighty people in Jericho and you got these crazy walls and you don't know yet about musical instruments and marching around and you didn't, you don't know any of that. You are basically a Gentile. What would cause you to actually say, hey, this is my land, but actually it belongs to Israel. What would cause you to betray your own people and your own ethnicity to say those foreigners coming in, this land actually belongs to them? Because their God is real and their God promised it to them and to beg for mercy. And, and that's why Rahab is, goes down in history and in Hebrews 11 even as a story of faith. And so Rahab, if you look at Joshua chapter 2 verse 11, I'll just read it to you. Joshua 2 11, Rahab confessed. This is what she actually said. She said to the spies, for the Lord, your God, your people's God, your God, He is God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. And then it, it describes how she begged the spies to deal kindly with her. She was the one who could have reported them. She could have just ratted them out like, hey, look, there's these spies here. right? But instead, she, ple she pleaded with the spies to deliver her and her family from judgment. Uh, upon Jericho. That's crazy. That's crazy that she would trust in these strangers. Right? And so James gives us gives us that illustration that she, it's one thing for her to, to believe it and to say it, but, but the reason why she's actually saved is because she actually took the risk. Right? And um, I'll come back to that in the conclusion. But point number three, so here's the final illustration of faith that works, and it's verse 26. So you see two illustrations, right? You see the ultimate illustration from the Old Testament, then the unexpected person, which is Rahab. You wouldn't expect someone like that, the unexpected illustration uh, of faith that works from the Old Testament. But, but this one's not an Old Testament illustration. It's the final illustration in his argument here of faith that works. And look at verse 26. It says, For as the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead dead. And so James basically retraces his entire argument um, connecting you know, the entire pericope part of what we looked at last time and then today. And he just says, hey look, a body without a soul is dead. It's just a dead corpse in the same way faith without works is dead. It's dead faith. And I think that point is easy to understand what he's making. But I want to conclude with this. So Abraham and Rahab, they were imperfect. They had flaws. We know that it's God's grace to save them. But ultimately, here's the question. What made them different? Right? What, what makes what they did so special and, and so costly? It's that they put everything dear to them on the line for the Lord. Right? That's the unexpected twist. And if you're looking at the narrative framework and if you were to go into their story in the Old Testament, it's that everything that was dear to them, they put on the line. So that could be for you, your career. It could be a relationship that, that you know, God says, I, I'm testing you. I want you to either, you know, consider this or um, it could be your child, your children. You know, people idolize their children. May, may, anybody have children here? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm talking, talking to myself. Um, no, no, there are, there are mentor couples in here. Okay, uh, it, it, it could be, you know, uh, materials, but just think of everything that you've earned or you think you earned or, or, or things that God has given you. Like, what do you hold dear, right? And, and what would it cost you to put it on the line? So now when you think of that, you retrace the arguments, right? It's 
Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac, who he held so dearly. And even the cost of it. I mean, Abraham could have looked at God and said, God, you know, if I kill Isaac, the promise is done. The Messiah is not coming through me, I guess, anymore. The, the, you know, is, you know, his descendants becoming many nations is not happening. You know, so not only is the promise uh, not happening, but my dear child, my precious child, who at that point, Isaac was a grown man, uh, but, you know, he's going to be gone. But whatever Abraham held dear, he trusted in the promise giver. He said, God, you know, if, if you promise me this child and if you want to take him, then I trust you. And again, towards the end of his life, right, in his latter years, Hebrews eleven nineteen tells us that Abraham actually believed that God could raise his son from the dead. Now, I want you to think about that in parallel, right? Talk about the tremendous faith and foresight in the resurrection of God's promised son. You know, Isaac was very much God's son. Miracle birth. Isaac is not Jesus. Right? But in the same way, Isaac was a miracle birth. And Abraham, long before Jesus, believed that God could resurrect this son. This Isaac, right? This promised son. And so Abraham believed in the resurrection, even though God said, just kidding, Abraham, I'm just testing you. You're not actually going to see a resurrection. You know, there's actually a sacrificial ram over there. Put him on the altar. Kill that ram. Take your son. I was just testing you. But Abraham actually said, if I kill Isaac, God's going to raise him from the dead. I talk about tremendous faith. He put what was most dear to him on the line. Rahab was willing to betray her own people, like I said. She was willing to turn against her own people. But here's the cost. What if, so for Abraham, what if God said, no, that's it. You're done. I'm, I'm you know, I'm going to take Isaac and I'm going to go to another people. Okay. But for Rahab, what if she was wrong? What would you do? Strangers come into your land. And tell, and then, you know, like they tell you their God's the living God. And what would you do? Right? I mean, what if, what if she was wrong? What if Israel came in and they couldn't breach the walls? And I mean, wouldn't Rahab just be exposed and killed and tortured and be seen as a traitor? I mean, what if she was wrong? She would die. Her family would die. But she was willing to put it on the line. I think sometimes we miss that point. She was willing to put it on the line. She, it's one thing for her to say, I believe in God, have mercy on me. You know, but, but she wasn't the one begging for mercy after the fact, right? Before Israel saw victory, she was begging for mercy. Because she had faith in God and her works of hiding the spies. It cost her something. And so last time I pushed you guys a little bit to say, what does it cost you? What does your faith cost you? I mean, see, you see what, where we're coming with the authorial intent of James, which is, you know from Romans that faith costs nothing. I, I, I'm sorry, I mean, salvation costs nothing because Christ paid it all. Right? We can't pay for our salvation. But at the same time, when it comes to living out our faith and what we believe as Christians, what does it cost us? And, uh, you know, it doesn't mean that we need to do something that God hasn't called us to do. And I'm not telling us to all parachute into you know, um, Muslim countries and evangelize and, you know, just be martyrs. But what does it cost us? And only you can, you know, answer that to God. What is God calling you to do? So once again, big idea, living faith produces faithful living. Okay. And living faith produces faithful living. And over the course of your life, if there's not faithful living, then it seems clear from the text and from the scriptures that the faith is dead. Right, and so faith without works is dead, and that's the point of this text. Right? And um, 
you know, Gabe's going to come next time. He's going to pick up the next section. Uh, but when I when I come back um, and, and we come back, I think we'll be in. Will we be in February by then? Um, you know, we'll be in another section. And once again, I'll, I'll do some exposition, but I'll challenge you a little bit and, and, and have you dialogue with me, okay, on, on that. Um, I did, I have two uh, discussion questions for you. I think tonight what we want to do is we don't need to have discussion groups, but these are applications for you to think of. Um, I think we would encourage you to engage with Karina. Um, you know, the church has given blessing for, for her as well as, you know, we have given the blessing for her to go ahead and fundraise for Nozomi, but you could go ahead and ask her all the questions. Uh, there, there are stuff for, for men, mostly for women, uh, but men, you could buy stuff for your mom or something. Um, your significant other, but, but, you know, I, I, there, there's stuff for men that, that we looked online and everything. Um, but if, if a non-Christian asked you the following, how would you answer? So I'm, I'm talking about now a coworker or a, a classmate, not Christian. They ask you not in a mean way, but they want to know. They say, how do you know that you're saved? What would you say? And you're probably not going to say, Oh, cause I'm better than you or because I, I have these moral, you know, you're going to have some sense, right? So what would you say? You know, what would you say? Like, well, what, what sacrifice would they, would you be able to say like, Hey, look, you know, I'm not saying I'm any better than you by any means, but I believe in Jesus so much. And I believe in the word of God that is true that that's why, you know, I, I make these decisions. Um, and if a non-Christian said, you know what, I just, I, I don't know about this Christianity thing. You know, I've seen a lot of Christians who say they're Christians, but, you know, it seems like it, it's not real. So what proof is there that Jesus is real and that he's changed your life? What would you say? It, and how would we say this, right? What would you say in a way where it communicates in love, humility, non-judgmental, like, but yet inviting them to have a conversation with you about Jesus? Like, like and when they look at your life, like, what would you say? You know, I mean, would they look at your life and anything that you say, you'd be, they'd be like, well, you know, I don't know if you're the right person to say that, you know. And, you, you know, I'll, I'll tell you something, you know, when, when I was my senior year of high school, when I got saved, um, even growing up in church, one of my greatest fears is like, I want to share the gospel, but nobody will believe me because when they look at my life, they're going to be like, you, you hypocrite, you know, yeah, right. And so I actually didn't have any confidence to share. And I said, I'm going to go to Bible college. I'm going to learn everything. I'm going to, you know, and, and I did. And then God just kind of, I, I don't know what it was. I was reading through Romans and, you know, th this conviction just came to me just like, dude, just change now. The Lord will change you. Just change now. Right. And, and so you don't want to beat yourself up too. So if you, if you think that people are going to look at you like a hypocrite because you're, you have dead faith, just look at the Lord now and say, Lord, help me. I want to change, change me. And it starts today. And, and you actually have a powerful testimony. You can actually say, look, I know, I know I'm not the best person to say that, but Jesus is not done with me. And actually he's real because he just changed my heart now. And you can actually say that to someone and, and, and then they'll look at your life and they'll be like, oh, okay, we'll see. And then a year passed and they're like, they'll come back to you and say, you know what? I, I, I think I've seen you change. You know, so, so let the power of the gospel change your life because, because living faith must produce faithful living. Let me pray for us. God, I'm just uh, so thankful for this group of young adults that are, you know, committed to gathering on a Thursday night, uh, hearing your word, fellowshipping together, spurring one another on. Thank you so much for Karina, Lord. We continue to pray for her 
and Nozomi, we pray for her work there. Lord, we even hear about how the culture is different in Japan and how, uh, you know, they're afraid to, to say that they're Christian or that people who have been baptized are, are, are struggling with, with, with living the faith, but yet there, there are stories of encouragement. Lord, we pray that you would continue to put Karina in the right place to connect with the right people as well as her teammates to, to share this, this living hope. It's so crazy that just as she kind of shared in her presentation, Karina did, that we do hold hope in our hands. We hold the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hold the scriptures and we hold the truth that can save. So Lord, help us to be challenged by seeing our sister on the field to see how we can be on mission, Lord, where you've called us. And so we are grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.